over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Now, and out of the many hours that I do on the weekends with WABC, the acronym always stands for always broadcasting Curtis, and you just heard uh, how I weave synergistically from one show to another show, and I get them all involved. We have on, out of all the many hours that I do, the most listened to, the most requested, the most called in of all the hours. It's the Animal Welfare Hour with uh, my wife, Nancy, and naturally there's an act of sabotage here. <laughs> As uh, Nancy, they uh, they told me they couldn't get you on the line. So from now on, if you don't mind, Nancy... Yes. You may have to leave uh, the comfort of our very small apartment, 328 square feet in the Upper West Side, and the 18 uh, rescue cats that you've saved from uh, being destroyed and euthanized, who I know are all, all listening intently to this hour. You may have to leave them to their own measures and come in uh, to the studio and do the show. Well, I will I will certainly do that, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, this, this definitely was an act of sabotage, but... Speaking of good news, you're not only on the line. Uh, we threw you out a rescue uh, line that was thankfully working. Uh, we have good news for all of our listeners is that we have met with our Cracker Jack video team. And we will start doing a video broadcast of the Animal Welfare Hour with actual animals in the uh, in the video studios of WABC, which is uh, down the hallway. And it'll be posted on Wednesdays on YouTube, a half-hour show that will not be a carbon copy of this. No, I don't believe in that. It's going to be all an, a totally different show. We'll still do the radio edition on Sunday nights, 11 to 12. But then you'll have a video edition with actual dogs and cats and snakes and rats and mice and other critters uh, that populate the world with us side by side, whether they live indoors uh, with men and women and children or they live outdoors in which they have to fend for ourselves. So that's, you know, we've been working on this for an hour, uh, excuse me, a full year, Nancy. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it'll be very exciting to, you know, be able to bring the animals directly into the studio. And then this way, as we're, you know, going over different elements just to be able to, uh, you know, showcase and, and also introduce some of the cats uh, who live with us who we always talk about. Now, you know, you can put sort of like a little face to the description. And, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And the first episode will be you, Nancy, building the cat houses, the cat boxes for the feral cats who have to survive in uh, weather like we've seen of late, rain, rain, rain. And they need to be protected from the inclement weather. And you will teach our many uh, listeners and those who will be watching uh, on YouTube the first broadcast exactly how to make those houses at little cost for those cats who, by them being outside, protect you from the rats, the mice, and the rodents. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at the forecast for this upcoming week, and obviously it's getting colder, but a Friday night in New York City is supposed to be 8 degrees, so this is a very uh, timely um, you know, episode that we'll, we'll be doing where you can showcase how to keep animals outside warm. Well, just a few things on that before we get into all the other issues, and people can certainly call up the Animal Welfare Hour, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Is that in a situation like that, if they don't have a house that's made by somebody caring for the colony, these are the feral cats, the cats that can only live outdoors, where they get fed and they get their water, is that what do they generally do to survive when weather gets that inclement? Well, I mean, the the idea would be uh, to be in an area where you're going to avoid uh, the worst parts of the outdoor elements. So, for instance, if it, there's rain or snow, the precipitation, that can be deadly for animals. So they have to stay dry. Uh, that's like number one. But... You know, barring any, um, you know, any precipitation, you still have to be wary of things like the wind, um, like the frostbite will will get to them uh, just in the cold. So they have to be able to stay out of, um, you know, the wind in general. So, and the smaller the spot, the better, right? This, so this is why they're prone to, um, you know, fit themselves into really awkward spots, including underneath the car hoods, because, you know, you can't have a lot of space between. Uh, you know, your body and the area you're trying to keep warm. So the smaller the space, the more likely they are to uh, be able to have their body heat sort of um, keeping them warm. So they'll crawl into the tiniest places they could possibly find just to keep warm and out of the elements. So, uh, yeah, you have to be mindful of, again, right, um, knocking on the car hoods in the morning because they will probably be staying there. During this week, the weather is going to be getting colder. And, you know, they'll probably be looking for anywhere they can hide. So if you have a little garage and it's uh, perched open a little, you know, they can go in there. So, you know, basement, things like that. But we're going to make sure that uh, that video is uh, uploaded onto the YouTube channel of WABC and available to everyone hopefully Wednesday night after we film the very first episode. And there will be a video episode to follow each and every Wednesday of a half hour in nature whether it's about cats that we'll have in studio or dogs or snakes or mice or rats and maybe even pigeons. And let me mention to you, <laughs> earlier today, as you were helping me get ready to come back and, and do the many shifts that I do on the weekend, yes, you were feeding the pigeons on our block on the yes. Upper West Side. And I'm side by side with you because either you feed the pigeons or I feed the pigeons. And describe to our audience what a woman walking her dog had to do in trying to confront the both of us. Yeah, it was actually it was very odd, right? Because I I saw and it was there was a few pigeons and then it was a couple of like little birds. So, you know, I put down a, a small little spot, you know, so little birds come over and we're walking toward the corner. So maybe we've walked about like 100 feet, and we're talking amongst each other, but, you know, she, you can hear someone's voice, someone's voice, someone's voice, and she's saying, like, I don't know if it was a, a, a question, like, curiosity, what are you doing? Like, wait, what, what, what is that? And I, and I just answered matter-of-factly, like, oh, no, no, that's food. And, but she, she wanted to make a point of sort of expressing her opinion that she didn't like the fact that these, that these birds were being fed and, you know, suggesting that, well, I should lead them to the park somehow and feed them there. 
Um, but what was kind of curious was she was she was walking this incredibly huge dog. It was like a St. Bernard type size. So I just, you know, brought up, uh, you know, maybe like that the same thing with the dogs. You know, when people walk them on the street, obviously there's there's things that are left when people walk the dog. So I'm like, yeah, it's all the same. You know, it's one, it, 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 something's going to bother somebody. So I just let her know that, and there wasn't really much to say to that. But, I mean, I, I just thought it was kind of an odd thing to, to stop me when she's walking a dog that is actually making more of a mess than I'm doing. Well, the animal, the dog was as big as a, a, a small pony. It's huge. And it had just uh, lifted its leg, and it was like Niagara Falls all over the building, a stream of yellow. So clearly she wasn't going into the park with the dog to find a tree. And the audacity that she had when that just happened, and now people are going to have to carry that on their shoe, potentially walk into their house. I mean, I'd be more concerned with that personally, but uh, there wasn't a lot of time to really have a, a, a discussion. You know, you had to go. Yeah, but it's incredible. She was all defiant. Like, what are you doing feeding the pigeons? It's like, excuse me, lady, you know, with this inclement weather we've just had, I even asked you, remember the other night, how did these pigeons survive the inclement weather, they I mean, the rain was coming down in torrents. Yeah, I mean, and and I still think that you, in any form, should really want to encourage anyone having compassion toward living creatures, even if you want to make suggestions how they go about it. But at a, at a bare minimum, you should be very happy there are people who care about other living creatures in the city. Oh, she wanted to fight. She was like, <laughs> she she's all big and mad. I'm like, I, I said to my, I'm not going to sing anything. But what I would have said to her lady is, hey, uh, your dog lifted its leg. It was like Mount Vesuvius all over the building. Huh? You're going to clean that up? Hey, why don't I take your sweater off and make you wipe it up? I said, no, 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 no I don't want to set it up. But, I mean, how ridiculous. The pigeons should be fed in the park, but the dog can lift its leg on any building in the neighborhood and just, like, let it all pour out. Um, yeah, and it's like the, the pigeons are, and, and actually I, I'm like partial to a, a few pigeons that now know me specifically, and this one that really likes me and comes around has not even one single toe because they've all been decimated because of the pigeon spike. So um, I'm certainly not going to have uh, take any guff from someone for feeding a disabled pigeon. Not only that, but many of these pigeons then follow me over to the Upper East Side where we broadcast from, and they wait. Very patiently, right outside the studios. In fact, uh, our fellow workers here will go, Curtis, you want to go out there and feed the pigeons? It looks like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> and they wait patiently. They sit there. They wait. And then uh, Margot Katsimatidis was great enough to uh, buy us some um, all-natural bird food so it does no harm to them. Because some of the things that people feed the birds – it, it, it grows in their stomach. It gives them all kinds of problems. We know that people are trying to do the right things by them, but it's it's the worst possible food you can feed them. And Margot bought this. I don't know where she got it, this all-natural bird food, and they can't get enough of that, Nancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and think how helpful it is when you're feeding, you know, really good quality food to animals that are forced to live in this, like, sort of urban environment. I mean, it's so important the nutrition, because they're not going to get it anywhere else. Uh, oh, and, and that reminds me, how many people will view rats as if they are 
uh, excuse me, will view uh, pigeons as if they are flying rats in the city, you know, uh, rats with feathers. They equate them as being the same. And, you know, Eric Adams had his State of the City address in Flushing Meadow Park in the theater there. can sit about 8,000 people. It's a very nice uh, theater. A lot of people don't realize uh, that it's uh, it exists in Flushing Meadow Park where you have the Unisphere, where we used to have the World's Fair in 1964. In fact, our own John Katsimatidis, when he was running for mayor in 2013, he wanted to bring a World's Fair back to Flushing Meadow Park. He wanted to have a unirail. Oh, it was great stuff that he came up with, and they all ignored it because naturally, what does it do now? There's so much in, in Flushing Meadow Park. You've been there many times with me, Nancy, that goes unused. A lot of people don't even realize this. Museums there, this theater. So the mayor, to his credit, chose the Flushing Meadow Theater to do his uh, State of the City address, but he also used it to take shots at me about being uh, the rat czar. Well, listen to what he had to say in the middle uh, of his speech uh, the other day at Flushing Meadow, the theater. Sure you do. Uh, don't worry about the montage. Just give me what he said the other day. Not on our mighties, guys. I'm going to strangle them. <laughs> 13, 13. You had it all ready and lined up. Look at this. They're like uh, attacking this show here. This year, we will build upon that work especially when it comes to rats. Most people don't know this about me, but I hate rats. (laughs) And pretty soon, Commissioner Tish, they're going to hate me. (laughs) Hiring our new rat czar, and it won't be Curtis Sliwa, will be just the beginning of a new era and delivering the best in public service and public spaces. Well, there's still no rats are. I'm continuing to function as the rats are at night, 10 at night to 4 in the morning, because that's when the rats, the mice, the rodents come out, along with the feral cats who are nocturnal too. And Nancy, he better, he better do something, because Battery Park City, which is run by the state, not the city, has decided they have to use their own measures to fight the growing number of rats on the island of Manhattan. And they basically, they're now waiting around for Eric Adams to uh, to appoint a rat czar. What are they doing? Yeah, so the, the uh, big initiative now that they're utilizing dry ice. And so what they're doing is they go around to all the different uh, boroughs, the, the holes that are, so like uh, what you were saying, they manage um, a lot of commercial space, but then also the Battery Park City, uh, the park area, which is like I think like 37 uh, square miles, something like that. And they put two pounds of dry ice into each of these rat burrows, and then they cover it up. And the idea is that they're, uh, you know, suffocating the rats because the, the dry ice melts, and then it's carbon dioxide. And this is how they're uh, you know, going about in addition to the other, um, you know, things that are being done through the other agencies, like the normal traps and the baits. But it, they're making a big push on dry ice. And, the you know, the idea is, well, it's not rodenticide, so therefore this is healthy. Oh, this is, the, this is a great option. You know, we're not putting down the rat poisons per se. But the reality is this is considered technically a pesticide, and there's a reason why everyone who puts this down has to be uh, certified by the state because 
it is something that is poisonous, um, you know, not only to uh, people who could touch it and, you know, but, but any animal that can get into it. So, again, they're saying, well, oh, we're covering the holes up, so they're not going to get into it. But then again, and any any rat that has been in another hole or the the fact that burrows are connected and the fact that, you know, this stuff is going under the ground. But, okay, so now if any of the soil comes up, it's there, people are playing. This is in a park ground as well. So they don't know that it's that successful. But this idea that it's not toxic is not true because it is actually a pesticide. So, but this is, you know, this is the push they're making, uh, just putting two pounds of dry ice into each a rat burrow. Not working. Um, this has nothing not to working. do with Eric not Adams. Working. Remember, this is state property. It's a state-controlled uh, property, Battery Park City, in lower Manhattan. Uh, we walked through there recently when we were going out to a Staten Island Ferry Hawks game. Remember, Nancy and I showed you this, the Holocaust Museum, there's yes. the statue that, uh, to his credit, Andrew Cuomo built in honor of Mother Teresa because uh, Bill de Blasio and Charlene would have no part of it, even though it was the people's choice. It's a magnificent park, but they 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 don't have control of the rats there because they're right next to the uh, Hudson River, the big wharf rats. And, you know, none of them down there in Battery Park City, none of them say, wait a second, there's another state agency it runs the Jacob Javits Center, which is active again after the lockdown and pandemic. And what do they do in that state agency in order to fight the growing number of rats and mice that come right out of the wharf of the Hudson River? They use uh, feral cats, and I, I believe it's only four cats. And the four cats have the entire facility under control in terms of rodent control. So, uh, you know, that's how successful you can be if you you know, have a focused effort on doing that. So, yeah, I mean, and again, like, there are plenty of places throughout New York City that are outdoors as well. So with all the community gardens that exist, there are over 100 community gardens that have feral cats as part of the community garden, in part for that exact reason, to keep the the rodents and the rats at bay. And also, you know, they're teaching the community about caring for them. But that, this already exists in New York City. It's just something that needs to be pushed forward a lot more. Now, remember the other property that the state runs that the city is not responsible for in uh, the five boroughs is Roosevelt Island. And remember, you you had to go out there and help negotiate on behalf of uh, those that were handling feral cats out there that the state agency wanted to move to explain to them, well, if you're going to move the feral cat colonies off of Roosevelt Island, what are you going to do about the rat problem? Yeah, I mean, and it was it was just so ill-conceived, this idea where uh, there was an animal rescue sanctuary that had existed for, I believe, like over two decades, uh, you know, in Roosevelt Island. And, I mean, it's the only area where they were able to take in, um, you know, all the animals. And, and, again, and, again, right, very exclusive type of environment you're dealing with there. And because they were, um, you know, they were doing a project on the shoreline, well, we want to, um, you know, clear some of the area on the project on the shoreline. Well, this is exactly where this rescue was located. And they were uh, trying to, you know, tell the rescue, oh, you just have to relocate all these animals. But, again, not recognizing that this is really part of the, the habitat of the animals. When cats live outside, they had big cat uh, population. They're habitual, so they know where to go. You can't just say, oh, I'm, we're going to move 20 blocks away and they're going to follow. You have to do a relocation process, and it requires, you know, trapping them, bringing them to the new area, 
um, uh, keeping them in an enclosure where they can see and smell but not escape. So, again, it's a time-intensive thing, and they wanted them to just, you know, they thought you could just uh, grab them in one day and just, you know, bring them that night. Like, they didn't give the time that was necessary to relocate these animals. So, again, this is where the city really needs to partner a lot more. I mean, they're requiring that you use, uh, you know, some form of eradication when you're doing these developments and you're doing building and you're doing, uh, you know, any of these projects, but they really need to work hand-in-hand hand with people who are working with animals who live outdoors. This is how you can, you know, get a resolution to this problem. See, that's why uh, if I were the Ratsar, free of charge for Eric Adams, I could say to him, Eric, focus on crime because that's the number one issue. If, if we can't get control of the crime, people are going to continue to leave. And let me deal with the rats. I would go to these three different state-run locations. That's nothing to do with the city. Can't blame the city. Can't blame Eric Adams. He says state. So in this case, it's Hochul. Before that, it was Andrew Cuomo. So you have Battery Park, state agency. They're using dry ice. We know that's not going to work. Jacob Javits Senate, state agency. They use four feral cats inside. It does work. Uh, Roosevelt Island, state agency that runs that. They had the feral cats, and then they wanted to move them with no replacement of feral cats. Sort of like just say, wait, this is how a bureaucracy gets gets in, 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 in and blocks one another. It's like you're already state agencies. Why not do what the one state agency is doing and having success with which is to use four feral cats on its property, the Jacob Javits Center, and just replicate it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as though none of these agencies communicate with one another to determine, oh, who has been successful at addressing this issue. I mean, it, it just shows the complete lack, like breakdown of communication in, in all of these, these groups. And again, if they really want to solve this problem, it's something that also is very economical. So, you know, you, you have a city that's really on budgetary constraints and, oh, we have to cut all of these different agencies. Well, this is a way to do it because you're actually able to do it much more cost efficiently and you're working in conjunction with another, you know, uh, sort of state agency that you're um, giving funding to, which is like the animals care and control, the shelter system. So, I mean, this is how you really start thinking uh, the problem in a, in a grander scale to to really come with a solution here. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, I must be a glutton for punishment because I'm prepared to help the people in Newark as I've helped them for years with crime situations, whether it's Bloomfield Ave, uh, North Ward, whether it's Central Ward, uh, Springfield Ave, whether it's uh, over near South Orange Ave, which is one of the most dangerous areas uh, in America, um, they have rat problems. Their mayor, obviously, is not Eric Adams. It's Raj Baraka. And they have people screaming about rats in their apartment buildings, right? Yeah, so uh, uh, this is specifically in uh, West Ward, uh, Georgia King Village. So this housing complex, they've been complaining for, I mean, several years now, but they're getting no redress from their landlord and it's to the point where they're going to uh, local city council meetings because they don't have any other way to really address these issues. So, you know, the the story starts in with, um, you know, like uh, a woman who lives there. She's in her 60s, and the rat traps that they put down throughout her apartment. Okay, so now they've caught the rats, but uh, she's unable because of her physical health to actually 
you know, sort of extricate them from the traps, and now she's waiting for days for someone to come by and clean them up. And, and then this here's where the frustration happens. Like, this has been going on for so long. They're not addressing it. And this is – now, again, and this is one of the things you have to be careful about with this idea of, oh, the affordable housing – you know, all these developments with affordable housing, well, it's not that people aren't paying their fair share. It's affordable just to represent their economic circumstance. So here, this is considered affordable housing, but they're really not getting any sort of uh, normal care um, with their property whatsoever. And it's like, they, oh, you just have to be happy with what you got. And that sort of seems to be like the attitude that the landlords are putting forward. So years ago, when they first started getting these complaints in 2016, they said, oh, we're going to take away the tax abatement because that's the incentive, right, that they give to build these affordable housing units. They give them these tax breaks. Well, as of 2016, when they were thinking they were going to take that away, they're still reviewing it, and they still haven't done it. So, again, slow to hold these people accountable for this issue that's just gotten out of control. Well, I know that area well. It's near Weequake Park, uh, Westward. Tell you what, Nancy, you and I, we should uh, bring our feral cats out to the West Ward, to that housing complex. There are a lot of elderly black senior citizens there who can't function in their apartments because of all the rats and mice. And let's let's see if we can develop a feral cat colony there. And we'll ignore Raj Baraka and the rest of the elected officials there because this is private property. This It's not a city project. It's not city land. It's a private uh, project. And... Let's work with the elderly black senior citizens there because also they'll want the companionship of cats. Yeah, and and that's one thing that really wasn't sort of indicated in this story, but there are usually lots of restrictions um, in place in housing, um, you know, like affordable housing units. So, I mean, that would be a, a great thing, like as long as there's no pet restrictions and if there were, this would be a reason why you would lift that, right, like to make sure that they can actually handle the problem at hand. So we don't just talk about animal welfare issues. Uh, we get involved with a lot of animal uh, welfare issues. As you can see, Nancy is the head of the Guardian Angel uh, Animal Protection Division. We'll give you more information about that later on. But let's uh, flip from cats and rats and pigeons and mice Two canine dogs were in the front line of keeping neighborhoods and communities safe. Apparently, Washington has had a canine named Hobbs who retired after nabbing 166 criminals in 10 years. Yes. Yeah, so 11-year-old dog, uh, police dog, so now retiring after 10 years in service, and... Yeah, 166 crooks, so definitely a successful record. And it's, you know, like one of those great happy stories where uh, this, uh, you know, the the retirement home is actually going to be with the officer that uh, he was partnering with all those years. So, I mean, that's really like the best ending you could hope for with with a canine situation, canine dog. And Nancy, with so much fentanyl being uh, smuggled into the country, whether in the hull, the belly of these huge cargo container ships coming in from Red China. You could see them right in the port uh, of New York, the Straits of the Verrazano, the Arthur Kill, Kill Van Cull. We've seen it, remember, from Ferry Hawk Stadium, Staten Island, as they come in and out. Uh, dogs will actually sniff out fentanyl that is mixed in with a lot of the products coming in from Red China. They use dogs to sort out fentanyl on the border as illegals are bringing it across because they can get so much money for the fentanyl. 
People don't I mean, realize. It's incredible, right? When you think about how many um, things dogs can do, they have them like um, sniffing for bombs. They, uh, the dogs who can, um, by scent, tell uh, whether a human has uh, detect cancer. I mean, it's incredible how you know we think of them as pets, but you know, in so many instances, they really are so far ahead of us and so far advanced, and we're just starting to tap into these potentials that they have that, you know, you, I mean, you can really just, you can't even dream of them. I mean, imagine like sniffing out cancer dogs. And uh, they've actually uh, had tests with dogs who could sniff a human being and determine whether they have any variant of coronavirus. That's amazing. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, so got to honor these dogs who are not just there uh, for the enjoyment of a family, but are out there in the front line and protecting us side-by-side side with police officers who obviously uh, put them through their training procedures. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. Remember, extra special bonus this Wednesday night. We're doing a half-hour video each and every week, which will be uploaded to the WABC YouTube platform. And we will actually have animals, not in the radio studio, in our filming studio, half-hour each and every week, in addition to you listening to the Animal Welfare Show right here exclusively on WABC. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, for the last week I've been involved uh, in dealing uh, on the crime-fighting side with what we do at Guardian Angels with the city of Toronto, the largest city in all of Canada with close to 3 million people and more Italians in Toronto than there are in the five boroughs of New York City, and they are racked with all kinds of crime problems. Uh, interesting side note, the mayor there, John Tory, Normally, uh, Nancy, Canadians have been uh, very adversarial, the governments, towards having guardian angels. They say they don't have uh, American-style crime problems. Well, they do in Toronto. And when the mayor was asked, John Tory, would you sit down and meet with Curtis, the expectation was that he would say no. But before he was mayor, he was a talk radio show host at CFRB who welcomed me to come to Toronto years ago when they were having problems. So now, what a dilemma he has, right? Yeah. So he has said, no, I'll meet with Curtis because I actually promoted the Guardian Angels when I was a talk show host back when I was first thinking of running for mayor of the city of New York. But he's also dealing along with the city of Toronto with another problem. For the first time, people are abandoning pets, massive numbers, in the really great parks of Toronto, Mississauga, which is like the world's largest suburb, it's flat, Scarborough, all these great places and beautiful parks, Nancy. I know you've never been there. i got to take you there. But now it's like people are just wholesale dumping their pets in the park. Why? Yeah, so it's um, it's definitely in the, in the parks. Um, and beyond just dogs, they're finding... Uh, rabbits, cats, exotic animals, and it seems so. Initially, the you know it seems like there's a lot of animals that were purchased during the pandemic, and now there's changes in schedules and people don't have the same amount of time. So it's like the same reason that they would relinquish their pets to the shelter, 
But the problem is some people are thinking, well, you know, they're, they're animals. They know how to survive. So I'll put them in the woods and, well, you know, they'll find something to eat. So it's a little bit of that lack of connecting that they can't actually, uh, the animals, you know, once domesticated can't survive outdoors. But, uh, you know, then the other thing is there, it's a, about 30% of these animals that are being released um, into the shelters, being relinquished rather, they're for medical reasons. So people are unable to afford the medical bills. So there's, I think there's a combination of just rising costs and people are unable to afford their animals. And, you know, again, the, the psychology of why someone would do something like that and maybe just crossing their fingers hoping the animal has a chance as opposed to, uh, you know, seeking out resources and trying to help their animals. You know, I mean, this is where, you know, the the shelters and the cities, you know, you got to do a lot to try to keep people with their pets because that's a, a positive relationship to foster as well. And that seems to be the biggest reason people are abandoning their pets. They can't afford their medical needs and they can't afford just basic pet care. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, as I begin the conversations with Mayor John Tory of Toronto, who remembers when he invited me into Toronto years ago as a talk radio show host. So he, he knows people are aware that now that he has said he's open to having a discussion with me to bring guardian angels to Toronto and they're having serious problems in their streets and subways, I'm going to suggest that you come along and represent the guardian angel animal protection division as an adjunct of what we formed there in Toronto so that you can deal with these growing pet issues of people abandoning them all over the city. Yeah, I mean, any place that you can, you know, really just bring awareness. And again, I think this, the reason why this story even made it, you know, to the surface is because people are really feeling bad. I mean, like when they're seeing animals in the parks when they're going there, and they're not just abandoned, you know, running around wild, uh, you know, someone has left them there with like a box of their toys and a blanket, you know, I mean, it's very clearly an owner surrender. So it's like, it's a, it's a problem that's really breaking people's hearts because you can tell these animals were in someone's home. Now I notice an incredible number and an increase in the number of animals that are being abandoned at American airports. Uh, what is that about? Yeah. So this is actually kind of interesting. It's not completely clear as to why this is happening. Um, if it's related to like something similar, right? Like just general abandonment, although it doesn't seem to be that, right? Like people aren't making trips just to abandon their dogs in the airport. Uh, There seems to be a lot of blame being put on the varying uh, restrictions that happen with different airlines and how quickly they change. So what's happening is, believe it or not, (laughs) defying logic, people are, are showing up to the airports with their pets uh, you know, for a trip, and for whatever reason, they're unable to bring their pet with them, and they're choosing to just abandon their pet at the airport and then continue with their travels. So this seems to be accounting for why these animals are being abandoned at the airport lately. Well, let's go right to the phones, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 to Anastasia in Astoria. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Anastasia. Good evening, and thank you for taking my call. I want to say that I appreciate both of you for doing this wonderful thing for the animals because 
They don't speak, but they do give us signs that they understand us and they need love just like we do. And I don't believe people do appreciate as much as they should when it comes to how beautiful these animals and how helpful they have been all along life. And I think uh, what you just mentioned about uh, people abandoning their animals, one of the reasons is um, like they go to the airport, then they find out that since they don't have all the shots, the dogs are not allowed to be in uh, unless they're completely vaccinated and all these things that they need. Yeah. And uh, and doctors, animal doctors, are as expensive as our insurance are. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's very tough, and um, that's one of the reasons. Now I called because this morning, as I was driving to go to Brooklyn from Astoria, I saw this woman. She had like a big bag of rice, and she's throwing it to the pigeons. And I rolled my window down and said, ma'am, it's very nice that you're thinking of uh, feeding the animals, but you're giving them the wrong feed. She says, no, rice is the best thing for them, very healthy for them. And I know that at weddings, the Greeks used to throw rice on the bride as soon as they exchanged the crowns and they came out, but it was forbidden, and they made this thing that looks like rice, but it's not rice. It's like a, some kind of a substance that is not harmful. Yeah. And that's how I know that definitely in order for them to have done that, that means that the rice, I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, if well, we uh, Anast- rice, Anastasia, yeah, no, Anastasia, it's clear. You don't feed rice to pigeons or any birds. From what I understand, and maybe you can correct me on this, Nancy, the rice can actually implode in their intestines, in their stomachs. Yeah, yeah, those are things that absorb um, liquid. So, yeah, yeah, and and right, that's that's a tough thing because now you see someone who's doing, you know, the right thing, like morally, and you have to just explain it to them. Oh no, it's not. This isn't the the way to go. This is not the thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like that community relations in there. I mean, I, I know a lot of people would feed. Uh, cats that I had outside, and again, well-meaning, but they, you know, it would be uh, people take out containers, leaving half of meals with things that is inappropriate, not cut up, not, I mean, bones. I mean, it's just the the heart's there, but sometimes the thought process isn't. So, yeah, it's. I mean, to your credit, it's good that you explained to her, and you know, it was was nice to say that to her in the way you did. And hopefully that will encourage her to actually, you know, check it out and maybe educate herself a little bit so she can continue do, doing this thing in the right way. And as you know, Anastasia was one of the Greeks who remain in Astoria. So many of them have moved out and the hipsters and millennials have replaced them. But I remember a few years ago, you and I and the Guardian Angels were tracking down cat killers, people who were spreading out poison to kill the feral cats. And our owner-operator, John Katzmatidis, put up a great reward uh, that led uh, to the capture uh, and the prosecution of the person. Well, the reward frightened off whoever was doing it. We never caught anybody, but the poisoning stopped. And it, all it takes is one unhinged person out there who thinks that whether it's pigeons, 
or cats or dogs or any kind of animals are a detriment to them, their family or their society or their block or their community. And they go out there with these toxic poisons and they don't, they don't mind killing animals, massive numbers of animals. And in their mind, they think they're doing a good thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, I it's I don't understand the mentality of that happening. Uh, you know, I I just think it's just a basic lack of empathy toward living creatures. You know, I mean, th- there is a balance. There's there's certain things that are inevitable, but to try and speed up these processes in in these horrific ways, and to just be completely mindless of that happening, it is is a disconnect. I don't understand. Let's go to Patricia, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Patricia. Well, first of all, I want to thank you and your wife for all the wonderful things that you do for us. I mean, it's it's way over. You are great people. I always say more animals, less people in this world. And um, I just wanted to tell you something positive. My uh, friend went to the vets, right, and she has two dogs, and she always adopts these dogs that are sick, and she gives them the best years that they have left in their life. So she she goes to the vet, and the, the vet goes, you know, I, I have this dog that the people went to Italy, and they just dropped him here to be euthanized. But she said, he is a little sick, he does need medicine, but he can have quality of life. She wound up taking him. This is her third one. And I said, you know what? St. Francis is going to let you right in when you go up. Right in. I mean, Patricia, Patricia, think of this. These people are going as tourists to visit Italy, and they're surrendering their family member, their dog, to get euthanized at the shelter. How? What a horror. What a horror. This dog that has been so loyal to them, that has been with it, can you imagine in the mindset the dog's being left in a shelter, being left to be euthanized because you want to go to Milan and Rome and Naples? What a horror. I remember near Christmas time, our dog had stones, a little puggle, and it was 1,800. And I was like, I was a single mother. I was like, how are we going to pay for this, dear Jesus, God? But you know what? My my kid was working. She was only a teenager. We all chipped in. My mother, we got him, took, had the operation done. It was done. I said, I could never put him down. I said, even if I got to work another job, I said, I'm getting the money to pay for his stones. He's the most important. Well, well, I had a quick question. Yes, yes, if go ahead. Feed, if I feed the birds bread, is that bad? Is bread well, bad I, for I, the yeah, birds? I think ideally you would want to do some sort of like um uh, like a seed, right? So I think the the bread as well. It, the idea is anything that maybe absorbs the water. It's it could like um uh, when they they take it in, then as it dries up, it's like it sort of gets big in their stomach. That's why. Um, I think that's not advisable. I think that's why the seeds are the preferred thing. So rice and bread, I believe, have the same exact effect on pigeons. Now, in fact, uh, they they have special, a special bird food, uh, Patricia. Uh, we, we're very lucky because uh, our owner and operator, Margot Casamitidis, uh, sent over a, a huge bag of the, what can we call it, uh, natural bird seed, you know, grown specifically for the birds, and they can't get enough of it, and I haven't seen any of the birds react negatively. In fact, uh, 
Our other owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, was feeding the birds outside of our studios uh, here at WABC. And building management came up to him and said, you can't do that. And he looked at them and he said, yes, I can. And if you don't watch your P's and Q's, I'll buy the building and I'll be feeding the birds morning, noon, and night. Uh, yes, Mr. Katsimatidis, I'm sorry. Uh, that's how they get when it comes to feeding birds. What do they think? How do they think these birds survive? You know, yeah, everyone thinks like there's this restaurant that opens up and they just, you know, they can just show up whenever they want to. Like, I mean, the, the more we encroach on each other's environments, the more this is going to happen. And, I mean, it's it's tough enough for them as it is. It's not a hospitable environment for people, let alone animals. So, I mean, if the the biggest thing you're going to do is give them some food, like, I mean, really, I, I just don't understand the problem. Like, I, I will continue to fight for the... The, the right to feed the pigeons. You're doggone right. And it is a real war in the city because you have those that think that pigeons are rats with feathers. And then you have others who understand that the pigeons didn't ask to be there. They were birthed there. They got to survive. And they don't migrate. It's not like they fly with the uh, swallows to Capistrano. You know, they don't fly south for the winter. They're here 24-7, 365. And they do a really, uh, like, they clean up for the sanitation department because they get all the crumbs that they leave behind. Yeah, and of late, sanitation department, uh, let's face it, the city is very dirty. It needs all the help it can get. Anyway, yeah. let's go to uh, James, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, James. Yeah, hi, guys. I got a quick question. I have one cat, and uh, my litter box keeps me busy all the time, empty like two, three times a day. You guys have all those cats. What do you use for a litter bag, a dump truck? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have like multiple um, litter boxes, and yeah, I have uh, the ones that are like taller and higher and deeper, so I think it's just the combination of the amount, the size, and just constant cleaning. You know, anytime, you know, like, uh, like Curtis says, right, it's like if you can lean, you can clean, so... <laughs> Just clean as often as possible. Yeah, and James, uh, Nancy, uh, you've gotten into a routine. You don't change the litter every time. What exactly do you do? And it never smells like there are 18 cats in the apartment. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just you're constantly just, I mean, you're constantly scooping everything, right? So the idea is as long as you have, you know, wide enough space, deep enough space, it's like nothing's ever really touching anything. So you're fine. You just got to keep, and then you, and then you periodically have to clean everything. But it's just by constantly doing stuff. You know, I, I think what happens is, um, you know, you don't want to say, oh, let me do it at the start of the day or the, the end of the day. If you're, if you happen to be like in your house during the day, I mean, you should be doing these things multiple times because it just makes it a lot easier to maintain it. And yeah, I mean, to your point, I we never smell anything. No one ever smells anything. It's yeah, you just got to be—you just got to be on top of it. That's well, it was interesting when I was running for mayor against Eric Adams. The New York Times said we want to come over and we want to look at the apartment. <laughs> and I know what was on their minds—that they were thinking, yeah. "Yeah, that we're like um, those who are hoarders," you know, where you could smell the fact that the people inside they have mental uh, mental disorders and they really can't take care of the animals, and it's very obvious. So they send a reporter over, and she shows up, and naturally most of the cats are hiding in the closet. 
the only cats they hide. So she goes, well, what happened to all the cats? Maybe that's why it smells so good here. And and remember, I opened up the closet and I said, (laughs) they're all here hiding from you, which is normal. They don't know you. And then here are all the litter boxes. You want to smell the litter? You want to smell This is normal. It doesn't mean the house has to smell like you have animals in it. And she was stunned. She thought we were using some form of trichnology like we had hidden the cats for her visit. They don't understand. Yeah. You, you could stay right on top of it as long as you have a regimen. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, that's what it is. Just you have to be very, very methodical about it. And, I mean, again, and, and that's it. And, you know, like the, the, you know, the isopropyl alcohol, you know, it's very sanitary. It's, you know, you just have to wipe down everything. Because think about it, you know, things are in the air, right, with cats. So you have to just brush them a lot. As long as you brush them, the hair isn't flying around because you're taking the hair off of them. So if you get ahead of it, it never really has a chance to land on the floor or anywhere else. Like, you, you, you get you get it before it actually makes your house dirty. Oh, and they all line up when you're ready to groom them. They all, they're all queued up. They can't wait to get groomed. They love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. They love it. Let's go to William, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, William. Hi, Curtis. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Um, uh, there's a few things that have bothered me. One of the things that has bothered me for a long time are these glue traps to trap mice and rats. They Their feet get glued to the bottom of the trap, and they starve to death. That's cruelty to animals. They should be banned. There should be a law banning these things from being sold. I would concur, William. In fact, I will tell you, I've seen many of those glue traps. Um, I will differentiate between rats and mice. Mice are pretty damn stupid. And they'll see one of their fellow mice in one of those glue traps, and the rest of them will walk onto the glue trap. You say to yourself, what is wrong with you? I can understand maybe you can't rescue your fellow mouse. You know, it's like Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse. But they're pretty dumb. The rats, it's almost you never see a rat on a glue trap. They already know. Well, you think I'm a schmuck, a putz? How do you think I've lived for decades, for centuries, and out-survived human beings? And you're putting out all these. And you know who ends up getting stuck in the glue traps, Nancy? People. People, they step on it, and they can't, oh, man, I can't get this off. When they put their hand, oh, my God, I can't get it off. Does nothing. Yeah, or the worst is, like, fly, fly traps when, when people just hang them all around, like, uh, and it, it catches everything but flies. Exactly. And it's so stupid because they think it's going to work, except don't they realize that if all of a sudden Vladimir Putin fulfilled his desire to drop a big one on us right over the Empire State Building, which, by the way, is bathed in green for the Philadelphia Eagles' victory against the San Francisco 49ers, do they not realize that we hate the Eagles? And it's not the bird. But that gives us the leeway into the fact that they are finding bald eagles in New Jersey now. Good eagles, not like the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, so so apparently in 1982, there was only one pair of nesting eagles, meaning that they were actually making eggs, and now there is 225 uh, nesting eagles that exist. But what's kind of curious is what they're crediting it toward. And uh, one, of, one of it has to, let me see, uh, the banning of DDT 
So that's in 1972. So it, apparently it took this long for that to take hold. But that could be. But now, unfortunately, their environment is starting to be uh, infringed on. So the the concern is now the numbers are going to go down a little bit as the habitat, uh, you know, gets smaller and smaller. So to be continued with the eagles. And also the avian flu, which uh, is problematic because... It's taking out massive amounts of flocks of birds. Um, well, yeah, so it's, again, the extent to which this can be confirmed, how many birds have the avian flu, that really is the problem and the question mark because none of that is uh, really transparent. Uh, it seems like if, you know, maybe one or two gets diagnosed, uh, at one of these facilities that that becomes a justification to cull the entire herd. So, um, you know, it seems like these sporadic tests. So, you know, I mean, there might need to be some concern, too, about the type of testing that's being done because, I mean, millions upon millions are being uh, killed, and it's not really clear how many of them actually have this. And, you know, given that they're just being used as food, it's not seen as an issue to just – uh, just to cull them, to kill them in mass. But, you know, this is a really a serious issue that they're just slaughtering these animals for no reason. And, you know, and they're still getting, you know, paid because they're making insurance claims on these on these, uh, these animals that they've killed. So, you know, that needs to be looked at. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Nancy, uh, football board of calls, as we always have. It's the most listened to, the most requested, and the most called into of the many hours I do at WABC. But if people want to continue the conversation with you, how might they reach out to you? GuardianAngels.org and the Animal Protection tab, or you can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. And by the way, a very special programming note, we will be filming our first Animal Welfare half-hour video program produced by WABC uh, by our video team. They will upload it to the YouTube station of WABC, and it will be available to everyone. We do our first program on Wednesday, Nancy will be showing people how to make those boxes to use for the feral cats outdoors because uh, the weather is expected to uh, plummet below zero on Friday, correct? That is correct. And speaking of Friday, let me tell you something. Dominic Carter was coming in here early. Bill O'Reilly was on, but uh, it was a pre-recorded Bill O'Reilly update at 9 o'clock, and I called Chad Lopez, our uh, president of Red Apple Media, our parent company, and I said, Chad, Dominic's ready to go to talk about what happened in Memphis. Uh, Bill O'Reilly in the pre-record wasn't talking about Memphis. Can we just go with Dominic live and locally? And he said, you're damn right. And I joined him uh, to jumpstart the discussion. And I think I was the first one to say anywhere in America or the world, Dominic, if these were five white cops and not five black cops, you know... There'd be shooting, looting, and arson all over America tonight.